1: God, our Helper, by you, Holy Spirit, open our minds, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. From the 19th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we read, Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and also you should love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen.
0: Get real. That's what he said to me. This young man, a college student, I was keynoting the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship college student conference in Huntsville, Alabama. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is made up of Southern Baptist churches, some whom have left the Southern Baptist denomination, others who are trying to be both Cooperative Baptist and Southern Baptist, about 800 college students gathered there at this conference center just outside Huntsville. And this young man came from Auburn College, Auburn University, the Baptist student ministry there. After keynoting twice, uh, I and the other preacher for the weekend, they gathered us in the afternoon on Saturday for a Q&A session. So the two of us got to stand up there, and these college students, those who chose to come, it was optional, got to ask us questions. There were a couple hundred of them that showed up that afternoon. I was surprised. It was a free afternoon, but they still came. And they got to ask us questions. And one of them asked, both of us, myself and the woman who was preaching that weekend, doing a marvelous job, they asked us about our faith journeys. And so in a short time, I began to share how it is that I came to follow Jesus Christ. And as I was telling my story and getting more into it, this young man from the back just blurted out, do you, do you really believe this stuff? And I looked at him and smiled and said, actually, yes, with all my heart. I have staked my life upon it. And then he said, get real. Afterwards, he came up to me and introduced himself. His name is Otis, tall, handsome young man. And he said, I need to apologize, I think. And I said, I'm sorry for what? And he says, all my friends back there think I was being rude to you. And I said, I don't think you were being rude. He goes, well, I'm glad, because I didn't mean to be rude, sir. I just thought, oh my gosh, seriously, you actually believe all this stuff? You've staked your life upon this? And I said, yes, yes, I have. And he said, well, I, I didn't mean to be rude. I said, I don't think you were being rude, Otis. It's fine. I think you were being the best young adult you could possibly be. And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, I think you are searching for meaning. I think you're asking, what really counts? I think you're trying on different identities. I think you're trying to figure out what's real, what's true. So whether Otis knew it or not, he was a multi-generation descendant of one young man who was wondering the same things. What is true? What is real? What is meaningful? What is life really all about? So he hears about this prophet, this teacher named Jesus of Nazareth, And he approaches him. He finds when he is in the neighborhood, and he goes up to them. And this young man right away calls him rabbi, which is Matthew's signal that this young man is an outsider. He's not part of Jesus's inside group. Because everyone in Jesus's inside group in the Gospel of Matthew refers to Jesus, addresses him as Lord. Only three times in the Gospel of Matthew does someone call Jesus. Jesus, Rabbi, this is one of those times. The other two times, they're religious leaders, they're Pharisees, they're also outsiders. This young man approaches Jesus and says, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says back to him, Well, you know, keep the commandments. And he says, Well, which ones? And Jesus says, Do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents, and treat others the way you would like to be treated. Interestingly, Jesus names all of the Ten Commandments that have to do with our relationships with one another. He doesn't name the commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. Have no idols, worship no other gods, He only names those that have to do with how we love and care for one another. The young man says, I've kept all these. And then Jesus looks at him, knowing who he is, and Jesus says, well then, go back and give away everything, sell everything that you have, all your possessions, and give that money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the young man goes away sad. Matthew says, because he had many possessions. Whether Otis knew it or not, he was a longtime descendant of that young man. It's not in scripture. This is sort of midrash, really. Midrash is this wonderful Hebrew term for imaginings beyond what the Bible tells us. But I prefer to imagine this, that yes, the young man was sad, and he went away, he realized he had many things, and he loved these things. But the longer he lived in that life, the more he realized that this is not why he was created. And then later on, he would hear word about the teacher, the rabbi he spoke to, this Jesus of Nazareth, who was arrested, tortured, crucified, and some were saying that he rose again from the dead. And I'm believing that that young man, at that point, changed his life, sold all that he had, gave it to the poor, and became a leader in one of the new fledgling communities of people of the way, people who followed this Jesus of Nazareth. It's this search for meaning It's this yearning for what is real, for what is authentic. That is the gift that you young adults, you twenties and thirties gift to the rest of us. Over and over again, like Otis, you're calling us to get real. What is this life really for? What is true? What is authentic? What is meaningful? So I told you this before, that when I was teaching at Columbia Seminary, I was gifted a significant grant to ask the question to do some research about why so few young adults, persons in their 20s and 30s, are sticking with the Presbyterian Church in particular. These are young adults that we baptized as infants, many of them confirmed as young people, as teenagers, and so few of them are still with us in the Presbyterian Church. I was in Sunnyvale, California, Having a conversation with 12 young adults, all of whom we baptized, all of whom we confirmed in different parts of the country. They were there now in Silicon Valley. None of them were worshiping on a regular basis in a Presbyterian church or any church. After that dinner and that focus group where I asked my research questions, one of the young men lingered. He came up to me and said, hey, I just have to ask one question of you. And I said, sure, please, anything. He said, Well, I've been dating this girl and she's a Methodist. And I said, That's fine. Interracial marriages still work. It's okay. <laughs> and he said, Well, I, I've gone to a couple different churches with her because she wants to still try church. And in both of these churches, this woman's name appears in the bulletin, but she didn't stand up either place. And I don't know how she gets around. I have no idea what he's talking about. And I said, I'm sorry, what? He goes, seriously, in these churches, these two different churches, this woman's name appeared in both bulletins, but she didn't stand up. And I said, what is her name? And he said her name was Gloria Patry." (laughs) Now, we don't do that here as part of our practice at Village Church, but some of you already know this. A lot of churches around us do. It's Gloria Patri, and I said to him, oh, so when her name appears, by any chance, did those churches, did they sing something like, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the... He said, they both sang that, they both sang that. And I said, yeah, that's actually Latin for glory be to the Father. Gloria Patri is the first line, and that's a response that some churches sing. To the word proclaimed, or to the, the liturgy, or to the sacrament of Lord's Supper, whatever. And then he asked the great question, the classic 2030-something question. He looked at me and said, "Why?" And I took it for a larger question. I said, well, uh, because we're the church and we're created to praise and it's glory be to the Father and we're praising God. he goes, no, no, I get that. Why Latin? And I said, uh... (laughs) I don't don't know. Uh, Because it's one of the original languages of the... Yeah, but why Latin now? And I said, uh... And then the only thing that I could say, and I regret this to this day, it was the worst possible response you could imagine it. It was, because we've always done it that way? (laughs) And he's like, okay. And he walked away. Why? Why, church? Why do we do what we do? Why do we confess sins? Why do we gather together in the first place? Why, why, why do we do these things? And the inadequate answer is because we've always done these things. That's not a substantive response to the profound question of meaning and truth and authenticity so, in that same research project, I will tell you this: I surfaced this idea that authenticity, which is a yearning for a lot of twenty, thirty-somethings, for all of us, if truth be told, that it has to be real, it has to be authentic. I, I researched and I came up with this idea that there's a quotient, there's a correlation between spontaneity and authenticity. That for a lot of twenty, thirty-somethings, when something feels more spontaneous. It feels more real. It feels more authentic. And as lovely as our worship bulletins and our liturgy is, for we who are Lutherans and Episcopalians and Presbyterians and even our Methodists and Baptist sisters and brothers, going through the same thing over and over again calls into question for some young adults, not all, but for some of them, are you really meaning this? Is this really real for you? So I was preaching about this and sharing my research with the leadership at Old Stone Presbyterian Church in right downtown Cleveland, and I talked about this relationship between authenticity and spontaneity and how crucial that seems to be for a lot of our young adults, not all, but for a lot of them in these days. And it was a few weeks later in my office there at Columbia Seminary, I got a copy of the worship bulletin from Old Stone Presbyterian Church. The pastor sent it to me, and he said, please look and note what I highlighted. And he highlighted a new item that they had just inserted into the worship bulletin. After the proclamation of the word, after the sermon there at Old Stone Church, they put in a moment for spontaneity. (laughs) And I thought... Oh, Lord Jesus, <laughs> only Presbyterians would try schedule spontaneity. <laughs> so I wrote him back an email. And I said, so, so can I ask, like, what, what's happened so far? And he said, so far, we're just sitting there looking around. <laughs> and I said, okay, let me know uh, what, what happens with the Spirit in that moment. But I give them props for the effort, Right. Because the search is on for what is real, what is meaningful, what is true. So in a book published last year titled non The Making of Ex-Christian America, written by a religious sociologist named Stephen Bullivant, He's playing on the term converts, right? He's arguing that we in the church have done beautifully in creating nonverts, the making of ex-Christian America. Dr. Bullivant writes that most young adults actually don't hate the church. They just don't think we matter. We have no meaning for them. He said, they see our form of belief as Christian convenience. He says that we are so careful not to offend anyone that because of our very blandness, we have become an affront to young adults in America. He goes on, In the eyes of many American young adults, mainline Christianity has come to stand for nothing at all, aside from some vague, albeit nice, pieties like peace and justice and inclusiveness. He says, you have become the church of the bland. So this is 74 years of Village Church being here. February next year is our 75th anniversary. We didn't get to 74 years by being the church of convenience. We didn't get to 74 years by being a quick trip church. We didn't get to 74 years by being a church of the bland. And we will not survive 74 more years if we choose to be safe and not offend anyone. Because in the eyes of so many, not just young adults, but older adults and young people here and across the world, then if we choose that, The church is meaningless. We have no truth within us. We have nothing to say that is real, that is honest. Come on, church. We were not created to be safe, to be bland, to not have anything to say to ourselves and to the whole world. This young man had the nerve to ask Jesus what really matters. What is my life for? And Jesus says, sell everything you have. Give the money away to the poor and follow me. And I will show you what your life is for. I will show you why you were created. The truth is, we are all on that search every day. The truth is, many of us are still trying on different costumes every single day. So tomorrow night, your session, the highest elected officers, the ones who've you chosen to guide us, they'll be gathering at Village on Antioch, and they'll be asking that question. What were we created for? What will our next 75 years look like? What is meaningful? What is true? What is real for us now in the years to come? I invite you to share your dreams with us. Write to an elder that you know, write to one of our pastors, write to me. I'd love to hear what you have to say. What is the Holy Spirit calling us to do that is real, that is meaningful, that is authentic, that is risky. We cannot be the church of convenience. We cannot be the church of bland. We have not been. By God, we will not be. Because the saints who are all around us, they are cheering us on. And they are saying, Come on, Village Church. Be the church you were created to be. Because the world is yearning to know Jesus Christ is real. The Holy Spirit is moving among us. And your life will be changed. And you will never be the same. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian
0: Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And
1: we invite you to join us again next week.